Welcome to Endurance Icons, a podcast where we talk to athletes that are inspiring and excelling in the world of endurance sports. We are your hosts, Mark and Jessica Cullen, and today our endurance icon is pro triathlete Tamara Jewett. She was a former elite runner turned pro triathlete, and she has multiple wins and podiums in that 70.3 distance. Not only that, she was the very first woman to run under 74 minutes in a half Ironman or 70.3. She ran a 73.08 at Augusta 70.3 in September. Welcome. We're so excited to have you on the show. Hi, great to be here. Awesome. Well, uh, we always love to ask, uh, what was on your training schedule for today? Uh, today was a bit of a longer day for me. So we've been building my swim mileage. So I had a, a six kilometer swim this morning and then uh, just finished up with three hours on the trainer and a little bit of weight training. So it's a bit of a, that's on the long side of what I would do in a day. Wow. And we'll definitely dig into your weight training in a little bit. But the one thing when we talk about your training, one of the things that you, I think you actually posted it today was just talking about that idea of not every training session is going to feel amazing. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your philosophy on that? Yeah. hmm. (laughs) I think this is something that, uh, in some ways I have a set philosophy on and in some ways I feel like I'm always encountering it and having to adapt to it over and over again. I think a lot of what I express about it, um, it feels like a mix of really how I feel and also aspirationally how I know I need to be to excel as an athlete and where I want the headspace that I want to be in. Um, so I encountered that most and what that post was about today in the, in the swim this week. Um, I've really been working on my swim form and just changing the way that I swim. Uh, and overall it's been going really well, but I've had some workouts recently where I feel like I've put so, so much work in and I'm sort of making progress, but not as quickly as I would want to. And I really had a workout, um, on Monday where, there were sort of like five big intervals and three of them went pretty well. One of them started to fall off and one of them just like really fell apart. And I think in the context of a, a particularly like a buildup of feeling like I was working really, really hard and uh, things weren't just, weren't always going as quite as quickly as I wanted to, it felt really, really emotional. And I was kind of in tears after, after the workout and, um, most of the feedback from my swim coach was, well, you're just too tense. Uh, you're, you're putting way too much pressure on it. And and that can be really tough feedback to deal with because it is really hard to find the balance between, um, you know, like the, the right amount of pressure that you need to put in all of this work and, uh, and what becomes too much pressure. And, and it's, it's one of those things that's so easy to say and then so easy to like kind of understand, but to implement is hard. Um, and I just felt it so physically this morning in terms of better swimming where I was like, okay, fine. I'm just going to like really, really embrace this like attitude that, um, that my coach is telling me to have and that I kind of understand I need to have a bit more of, I, I care, but I don't care. Like I'm trying to hit these times, but don't hit it on this one, whatever. (laughs) And my swimming was so much better. Uh, 
So it was kind of cool to see such a physical manifestation of that mindset change. Um, but I, I think that's something that, um, I think it's a really good example of how that, that, that sort of mindset shift has been really important to me in my shift from running to triathlon. Um, and something that I think I've made a lot of progress with as an athlete, but then can still like crop up week to week. Uh, it's not like I get to a state where I, I try to embrace that positive mindset and then it's there in every workout all the time. It's something I, I always have to work on and that is always coming back to me to work on. Um, so yeah, I, I think as a runner, uh, I did very well, but I also dealt throughout my run career with a lot of anxiety around some of my racing and some of my training. Um, and part, there were so many things involved in the switch to triathlon, but in developing, uh, my approach to triathlon as a sport, it's been really important to me to learn from some of the mistakes that I made as a younger athlete and try to find a lot more joy in the sport. Um, so that's made it a lot more fun and it's a, yeah, continuing, but it's, it's been a fun journey. So yeah. what would you say the top mistakes were that you made when you were a runner that you've changed now that you've moved to triathlon? Uh, <laughs> I top mistakes. So I think this, this aspect of, um, what what becomes negative pressure and what is kind of working um maybe the difference between sort of working hard versus working smart and and really realizing that that uh the joy and positivity around sport and also proper physical recovery or they're not frivolous aren't sort of like luxurious add-ons or aren't weak i think in my sort of zeal to work really hard as a runner, I, um, I, I was not working smart and I was being very hard on myself, uh, and, um, not, not overtraining in the sense of putting in tons of mileage, um, because I, I was getting injured quickly sometimes. So never building, uh, building up my run mileage to what people would consider really high mileage, but, um, was, uh, overtraining for the amount of recovery that I was giving myself for the amount of fuel that I was giving my body. Um, and yeah, I think really embracing, um, recovery and that fun can be part of hard work has, has been a big change for me gradually as an athlete. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Like that's such important info that athletes need to hear from no matter what their ability level is, especially as they get into this long distance stuff. So thanks for being vulnerable on that and giving us some, uh, some good info on that. Um, I want to jump a little bit back into that, uh, that elite running days a little bit. Um, when we talk, like I've followed your career for a while, we happen to be about the same age. So I was coming up around the same time and saw your results when you were winning like offs events and, and crushing it at U of T for a bunch of years there. Um, maybe what would you call when in your running career, maybe your like peak performance that you had, is there like a race that stands out to you as like one that was like, oh man, that was, that was the one right there. Um, I think, I think one of the really big ones was my world juniors performance in 2008. Uh, so that would have been right after I graduated from grade 12 and 
uh, at the time, like much to my surprise, it hadn't really been an ambition before that I qualified for um, world junior, the world junior track uh, championships. And uh, in the 3k, I ended up eighth. Um, but the the really big part of that race for me was that it was quite a big PB and haven't thought about my times for a while. I think I ran nine, nine fifteen, and my, my qualifying time to get to worlds, which had also been a big PB was like nine twenty three. So that was a really exciting performance at the time, having started that year, not even really thinking about world juniors. And then having at the time, that was one of the better performances on the Canadian team there and a big PB, um, it, it was really exciting at the time. And then it kind of haunted me for a few years. It took me a while to get to the point where I could actually like beat that 3k PB again after that. That was a big one. Um, I was second in the Canadian, uh, university cross country championships one year, um, in a race where, uh, Jean-Vive Lalonde won and I had won Ontario's and she had been second at Ontario's. So that was kind of a fun, rivalry at those championships and that that was a nice a nice breakthrough after the, uh, I think the year before that had been pretty difficult with some injuries um yeah those are a couple couple that stand out there are a few they're kind of like choppy bits of success like that and then just like so much cross training in the pool <laughs> so were some of the initial aspirations like to try and make like an Olympic team for example in in track and field or like long distance running type of thing uh yeah uh the big goal for quite a while was to qualify for the um 5k uh in 2016 and my my training partner uh sort of in the lead up to that Andrea Sakafine did end up qualifying um but my training ended up being so patchy around injuries like there there was a period of time in our build for that where Andrea and I were uh, keeping pace with each other really well in workouts. And then I ended up having some minor injuries and, uh, later, later that summer developed the sort of 18 month long injury that, that led to the transition to triathlon. So I think in the end I ended up doing like maybe four or five at most five K's on the track total. Um, so I think, the physical potential was there, but the, um, the training program and injury cycle just really got in the way of that. So what were some of the biggest injuries you dealt with over that time? Um, plantar fascia tears were some of the most devastating ones. (laughs) That was, uh, my first ever injury. Uh, and it seemed like, Every time I irritated my plantar fascia, it was like at least a six month healing process. I tended to, um, to tear it badly the first time because I didn't really know what was happening and I kept running on it. But the, the final really bad tear was like one run where it started to hurt. I stopped immediately and it was just a really horrible tear. Um, Mm. I had a couple of femoral stress fractures, one of which is in the neck of my femur. Those are also pretty tough. Um, those injuries are tough because they're low blood supply areas. So just the healing process was often very, very long. Um, some, a couple other stress fractures, uh, an issue with this tiny bone in your foot called your sesamoid. So sesamoiditis, um, 
and a disc bulge in my back. So different like hip and foot problems, but on both sides of my body and moving around and they, they were tricky injuries. Yeah. I, uh, I hear you with the planter piece, like that it was one of my first injuries and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Like you can't, apparently you can, uh, as long as you don't tear it, run through it. But it sounds, I was just listening to Mike Wardian talk about the fact that he did that, but it sounds like the pain is unimaginable. And so the fact that you're, it's reoccurring and so low blood supply, it's yeah, I can understand why that sidelined you. Yeah. And I think with the you know, obviously through that process, I was working with a lot of different people and getting some different advice. I really never had success trying to run through it. There no. were some, um, I think, you know, two, two or three of the times there was a tear, but there, I also did just have sesamoid or sorry, plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I tried to run through it. It just, it never it was never successful, but I do know other people have been able to. So I think that's very individual. Um, and yeah, it's a tricky, tricky injury. Yeah. Possible doesn't mean recommended. (laughs) Yeah. And I also just think like different, different people's bodies react differently to it as well. Like to me, it it always seemed like trying to run through it would eventually lead to a tear or just, just to severely interrupt any kind of healing process. So what could you, were you able to kind of trace what like caused it really in the end or was just some imbalances or was it a nutritional deficiency? Like, were you able to kind of track it down in the end? Yeah. So that, that question is like, that was like a decade of my life. Yeah. It must be. yeah it, it, I think there was just a whole bunch of layers of the onion and, um, you know, certainly at the start of it, um, in grade 11, I had actually quite a severe eating disorder. And even though physically I was gradually getting healthy after that, it was very hard on my body and it it really took several years, I think for my body to recover for that. And also for me to get to the point where I, I genuinely was fueling enough to support the training that I was doing. So I do think that's an element, but I don't think it's the only reason that all of that was happening. And unfortunately, I think sometimes for female athletes, uh, if that is a factor at all, doctors get really stuck on that. And, and it later in the process felt a little bit frustrating that I, was, I, I felt like we were really um, diligently addressing that, those parts of the issue, but things were still going wrong. Um, I think some imbalances are part of it. Um, I'd been a track runner since I was 12, a lot of running on indoor 200 meter tracks that creates hip imbalances. That was a factor. Um, And then I think my body just responds better to the mix of movement patterns and different strength that you develop in multi-sport because it's responded so much better to triathlon training than the type of track training I was doing. Um, Middle distance track is really hard on your body. I think even the type of running was a lot harder on my body than the type of running I do in triathlon. It's very um, explosive and running in circles. And uh, I think even just the slightly um, lower intensity road running is easier on on my body overall. So 
different factors and to some I it did feel a lot though and I don't quite understand why still like um every time something went wrong it went like very very wrong so I would have teammates who would deal with a lot quite a few injuries and might have you know one really really bad one and then a few minor ones that healed quickly but um in my case it felt like each one was a bit mysterious and on the worst possible side of like the healing timeline for it so so yeah I I think it was just a perfect storm of different factors well given where you are today maybe it was just a sign that triathlon was where you needed to go so maybe tell us a little bit about uh how kind of the the triathlon journey started for you because you had this elite running you talked a little bit about how you were doing some cross training how did it become a a full-on triathlon addiction yeah it was it was a bit of a gradual process um uh at the end of which I just realized that I I really enjoyed triathlon a lot more than than track um but I started dabbling in swimming a little bit first around I think sometime around 2014 uh with one of probably with one of the hip stress fractures but I I forget exactly which injury I was I was doing so much pool running and I gotten really good at keeping myself fit with pool running but I I was getting to the limit of what I could stand (laughs) um and I really wanted um, training partners and, and just a more fun environment around some of that cross training. So I ended up going to some of the university of Toronto triathlon club swim workouts, just to check that out and see what that was like, uh, and really liked that community really liked being at those workouts. So I had a bit of a phase where I would swim with them for a while until I was healthy for running. And then I would completely stop swimming, just get back into running. And eventually, um, partway through the summer in 2016, I developed a really bad, uh, plantar tear at the insertion point of your plantar fascia. And that ended up being an 18 month healing process. So, uh, I had a lot of ups and downs of trying different things, different solutions, trying to run a bit that not going well. Um, And I really needed something that was active, but was going to take my mind off of running. I was getting some advice that I might just never be able to run properly on this foot again. So um, by that time, I met my uh, now husband who uh, through those U of T triathlon uh, swim practices. And um, I asked his triathlon coach, who's now my triathlon coach, Suzanne Zalazzo, if she could put together a swim bike program for me, basically just to stay sane. And he was doing some local Ontario races uh, and a lot of them have a swim bike category. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll enter some of these swim bike races. It's just something fun and still a little bit competitive to do. Um, and that, that went well. And eventually, uh, you know, 18 months after this foot, <laughs> problem, I, I finally was able to build up my run again. Uh, and Suzanne convinced me that I should do a season of triathlon to slow down my return to running so that I wouldn't be tempted to like put too much running mileage too quickly. Um, 
And I think her secret plan in the background was to try to keep me in triathlon, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I had a really fun Ontario season, uh, doing age group triathlon and I loved it. Um, so it was sort of a, a straightforward decision after that, that we wanted to try a pro season and just see where that went. Before we like lead too further into triathlon, like, I don't want to move too quickly off this whole idea of like, holy smokes, the injuries that you needed to deal with and the mindset we, we talked about how you respond to a bad workout. Um, but this idea of you're such an incredible runner, this is such a big part of your life. And then you are getting the most extreme version of the injury, which is sidelining you for all these, uh, different months and different times. So you're finding different ways to engage in a group and, and pick up triathlon and, and it's led you to this great place, but how did you handle that? Um, I know if I'm facing an injury, I don't handle it well. Every single time I think I'm going to learn from my mistakes and that, you know, this time I'm going to respond with grace and like, like an adult. And every single time I'm like crying in the car or, you know, just having that moment of grieving. Um, what was it like for you to be able to face these injuries and, and how did you face that over and over and over again? Yeah, it, I mean, it was really hard. <laughs> um, I, I had to gradually learn how to deal with it. And I think luckily, partly I'm really stubborn, I think. So, so it felt like I gradually just, I, I don't know, I, something in me just couldn't completely walk away. And so I just had to figure out how am I going to deal with this? And I certainly had a couple where, I felt like I really had to face the emotion of like, there's just no one who can magically make this better. Like, I guess, I guess sort of that, like, I have to accept this horrible situation. Mm -hmm. It just like, there's nothing that's magically going to fix it, um, which was, was hard, but I think over time and over the course of like a decade of having to face some of these emotions again and again, and again, it's been very liberating in the long run because even if in a moment or for part of a day I'm not great at dealing with them or I'm feeling them strongly I think I overall am very resilient now and um feel really capable of coping with a lot of different setbacks without them feeling too devastating um I yeah and I, I think even that sort of joy in sport aspect like I really had to go looking for that because I did feel like it really became a choice of okay either I'm gonna walk away completely which I just don't want to like can't, I didn't want to do or I'm gonna be miserable and no one can just magically extract me from that or I'm gonna find some way to make this fun to keep myself fit to like find the good <laughs> the good aspects of this and um I think multi-sport has more protections in it than than track does you know I've had periods as a triathlete where I've had some minor injuries and I couldn't run or um swim train I mean I broke my collarbone at one point so that that was a setback for swim training but it it always feels like there's something to work on that's part of the sport rather than having to step away from the sport to do cross training. And I really appreciate that aspect. Um, so I, I think, I think acceptance and looking for what you can do in those situations. I think now I consider, 
I kind of consider the healing process part of my job as an athlete and, and really give my body more credit than I used to for little progress in healing, or like, even if it's just like rebuilding a bit of strength in a tendon, feeling like athletic pride in that, even if it's just like a very personal, unglamorous kind of athletic pride. Um, and just, just like, what is fun about sport and, and sort of like, how can I participate even during those times that I'm injured? Nice. Well, we're definitely glad you stuck around, even though we had a, a couple of years where we had to race against you in age group and that, uh, that wasn't very fun for us. <laughs> how were you such a good swimmer right away? I remember everyone being like, Oh, Tamara Jewett's coming over. Like she's going to be way back after the swim and bike and crush everyone on the run. And then you're like flying out of the water. <laughs> um, well, I feel like, I feel like I get mixed responses on that. I definitely still have some like articles that are like Tamara Jewett, the weak swimmer who came out of nowhere <laughs> on the run. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I think, um, I have always been comfortable in the water and I think that that maybe has helped me a bit. So I, I never did like formal competitive swimming, but a lot of my childhood was like lake swimming in Ontario cottage country. And, and I think that helps. I have a really good aerobic capacity so I can somehow like get by with the bad swim forms sometimes in the water. Um, like my, my current swim coach, uh, we started working together partly because he saw me swimming at some triathlons during the pandemic and basically came over and was like, you know, you swim surprisingly well for someone who doesn't know how to swim at all. Like maybe I can help you with this. Um, but I think that the just comfort in the water and, and determination, and that's something I, I really though, um, um, I think I kind of risked hitting a ceiling with the way that I was swimming. And I've really gone back to try to, to learn, to learn how to swim properly and, and try to rebuild on a new kind of swim form now. Nice. Um, so you made the the jump to pro pretty quickly in there, but you also had a full-time job during this. Is that correct? Like as a, a lawyer as well? Yeah. So I, I have at points and um, I guess when I started getting into triathlon, I was still in law school and um, balanced the first part of it with that and an articling job at, at Tories, uh, which is a, a corporate law firm in Toronto. Um, and then after my original plan was to take one year off for pro triathlon after articling and that would be it. And then I would be a full-time lawyer and that would just be a, a fun experience to try. It did not um, age well. <laughs> no. So yeah, I realized eventually that my, I would have to, I stopped trying to set sort of like one year deadlines on my plans. Cause they kept changing at the end of the year and, and triathlon really kind of, um, yeah, won't let me go. <laughs> it seems. Um, so, so there was uh, that year off was mostly during the pandemic, but I was sort of full-time for that for a bit. And then I went back to Tories full-time, um, for most of 2021 and then negotiated a part-time arrangement for most of 2022, uh, and, then decided in the fall uh, this past year that I was going to try uh, full-time triathlon again. So it, it's been a, a bit of a mix, um, but definitely quite a bit of trying to balance everything with that full-time law job. 
Nice. That's exciting. Left the full-time job for triathlon. That's awesome. Was there like a certain thing that was the catalyst for that decision? Like you just wanted extra training time or was there a certain dollar figure you were trying to get to that was kind of your pivotal decision making to leave your job? It was a gradual decision. Um, and I really, I mean, I really like, like my job as a lawyer. I, I miss it a, a bit. So it, it just got to a point where, um, yeah, I think, I think a mix of wanting to see what I could do if I really was able to plan all of my, my time around my training in an optimal way and, uh, getting to a point where I felt like I had a bit of a safety net and I could demonstrate that this could be financially viable, uh, and that it, it made sense it was going to be okay to take a year to, to sort of see how it went. Um, and, uh, and, and I'll see it's, it's a little, <laughs> it's, it's exciting and a little scary at the same time. But. Is there anything that you take from your days of, you know, working as a lawyer that you believe that you bring to triathlon? Um, I really like, well, I think I, I like the perspective that it that it provides. I, I think that it was really healthy at the start of my career as a triathlete to be moving back and forth between uh, sort of my professional obligations as a lawyer and and an environment that if it if anyone in it cared about triathlon, it was a bit peripheral. Like it was just a very different focus, different environment, different perspective, and to balance that. Uh, with sort of being immersed in the in the triathlon world I, I really appreciated that and I think it, it really helped it was a good balance um, and I think um, you know one thing that I, I'm trying to figure out a bit as a full-time pro is that um, my mind really likes stuff to keep itself busy and, and I think that you know, the, the legal education and the law career was, was really good for that in a way that took some stress away and just is sort of, uh, you know, for all the stress it added, it had some natural stress relievers in it. Mm. Um, so I think that was good. I think, I think even just the perspective of needing to try to make that balance work is also really helpful. And, and I think it just, um, you know, it, it, it taught me more things about sort of how to, um, you know, forgive myself if I couldn't fit a workout in, how to manage my time really, really well, um, maximize sort of what, what I could fit in with my training. Um, so de definitely a lot of time management training and, and perspective training. And as someone who enjoys keeping their mind busy, I would imagine it's such a fundamental shift to go from working you know, even part-time and having, uh, you know, it like filling your mind with all of those different things and the, the time management, what do you replace that with right now? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I think makes it possible for me in triathlon rather than like trying to be a full-time 
runner, I think I would have gone a little bit crazy or like really <laughs> had to to focus on that is that I I do find some to some degree like the skills that you need to learn in triathlon that are new to me fill that up. So it's taken a lot of mental energy to learn about proper swimming, for example, or or different sort of like bike equipment and and techniques. And so so that definitely takes up some of that. Um and Otherwise, I, I feel like I always expect to have more time for sort of like non-triathlon thinking projects than I have had so far. The past two months have been a lot of base building and training, and I've I've partly had to like find ways to forgive myself for being exhausted all the time and not being as productive as I think I should be um, when it seems like, you know, some days there, there's enough time around training that I feel like I should be able to get more done. Um so that that part is a work in progress. Uh, I have a lot to learn about sort of being an entrepreneur and other aspects of being a professional athlete, and, and that's engaging too. We've been trying to get more involved with the Real Triathlon Squad and um, some of their media work, um, and uh, I hope there'll be, uh, yeah, more and more opportunities there as well. And so when you were as a relatively new pro, you had to make that leap from running to really onboard quickly with the swim and the bike. You enjoyed a lot of early successes in your career, which continue now, but I'd love to know as you're tackling this and you're, you're learning how to quickly get better at the swim and the bike, what were some of the things that you did to expedite that process? Hmm. Um, I'm not, I don't know. I don't really know. I've never thought of it as like trying to, to expedite it as opposed to just sort of gradually immersing myself more in each sport and, and learning about it from the people who are around me. I, I have a huge amount of trust in my coach, Suzanne, and I think she's provided a lot of excellent guidance. Um, it's been, it, you know, it was an opportunity that came up partway through the, the, triathlon stuff not right at the beginning to work with Miguel who's my current swim coach so um you know at start of swim I was mostly focused on fitness and and not technique and it's actually been after a few years that I've I've switched that focus um Suzanne has always sort of sent me to different camps with different groups so that I can learn a bit from like the different athletes who are there so I think getting a mix of different people's perspectives and um really respecting their expertise. I, I think, um, it was kind of refreshing, uh, and I really enjoyed needing to be kind of like humble in each of those sports and, and feeling like I did have a lot to learn. Um, I think like the nice thing about having a learning curve like that is that you can see progress quickly, which, which was really nice after like a decade of frustrating running injuries. I can imagine. What did it feel like when, you know, you made that switch to pro and, you're being able to get your first wins. Um, that must've felt so validating. Walk me through, you know, that yet how, how you felt in those moments. I, th I think that the moment that I have actually felt best about it was at worlds this year, which was at like ninth place finished, but there it was the most direct like I don't know emotionally intense and direct comparison that I've had for something like that because Worlds was in St. George two years in a row mm -hmm. um and I was 
13th in 2021 and then 9th this past year in 2022 and 13th was good and I was happy with it and overall felt like I'd raced well um but just the difference that I could feel in my performance this year on the same course and how much more competent I felt at the transitions and at the swim start and just through each moment in the race there's a lot that I want to still improve but um it felt really satisfying to me to feel like I just really knew what I was doing in a way that I hadn't even though the first the year before had gone well um and I I think my my main takeaway was just just being really pleased to feel more and more competent at, at each aspect of the sport and and feel um less like a runner doing triathlon and more like someone who really was becoming a, a triathlete and um and feeling confident in my decisions and my um you know still still want to be further up there on the bike but but I was happy with my positioning through the race and how I was competing and uh you know I, my transitions were pretty quick um so that felt great I think it's been really um I think going into my first couple of pro races which were in 2019 um I in my second one I, I came third and I was excited to get onto the podium but it the whole experience felt uh felt like I was less in control. I felt like, like I really was just running my way onto the podium and it felt like the whole race was happening. And then I would kind of work really hard and suddenly start to find the race again at the end of the run. And I think, uh, as I've been able to improve some of those placings, I've been able to feel gradually like I'm in the race more. And I have more races where I am swimming with people and I am actually, you know, uh, back and forth with some of the women on the bike. Um, and so the more and more that that happens, uh, the, the more, um, excited and pleased with my progress, I feel. So that's a big leap to make in one year, especially with such a competitive group of women, like top 10 is absolutely extraordinary at a world's event. Um, was, is there any changes or focuses that you made in your training that you would attribute to that success? I think it's been a really gradual process, like gradually building on what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think this focus that I've done since 2020 on learning to swim really properly has, has made a difference. Suzanne and I have had parts of years where we've done bigger bike focuses and that's been starting to come along really well, but each of those pieces, I, I think is just building naturally on what we've done before and we kind of needed to do the stuff we were doing before to get there so um I think even if some of it looks quick to me it's it's just it's been gradually chipping away at it chipping away at it and and um you know the more it comes together the more it's just like finally seeing some of the benefits of work we've been doing for quite a while yeah. Consistency. It, it makes an extraordinary difference when you stack it all up. Um, when you look at your early days of running, um, how does your current, uh, run volume compare to what you were running in your track days? Um, it's a bit lower, but I, I don't think it's that much lower. I was never a very, like a particularly high mileage runner. I mean, around the, and I, I also actually never 
counted my mileage that quickly for the longest time as a runner, I would just, I do my off day runs based on time and, and not look at distance at all. So I don't have a really crisp sense of exactly what my run mileage would have been. Um, but, uh, even just the nature of the workouts with triathlon, like they just, they're less intense, but longer mileage overall. So in one workout, I will get a lot more done than I would in sort of like a middle distance speed workout on the track, even if the, um, you know, kind of physical toll is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I only run three days a week normally. Um, and I think my run mileage right now varies from about, um, maybe 50 to 70 kilometers a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, what would you say your overall volume is across the disciplines? Right now that I'm full time, I've my train like training time is often about 20 to 24 hours a week of sort of like moving time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, yeah, I never sit down at the end of the week really and calculate like this is this is. I guess I have more of a sense for running because it's only like three workouts to add up, but I never, I don't often sit down and go, okay, this is how exactly my volume of swimming this week, or this is exactly my volume of riding. I really try to place a lot of trust in my coaches, um, for that. And, and I think, um, trusting just uh, different times of year, you know, we're focused on slightly different things. So sometimes in the winter we're doing big, power push on the bike, which might mean slightly less training volume, but that training is pretty intense. Uh, and in the summer, there might be some like mileage riding that it takes up a lot more time is a lot more, uh, distance, but, but isn't, is an easier effort overall. So it, it varies a bit and I don't, I purposely try not to obsess over it or track it too, too much. Mm-hmm. And I'm, when, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I'm lucky. Um, like I'm lucky that I do have a really good coaching staff and it's kind of a luxury to be able to offload a lot of that onto them. Um, I think obviously if I was putting the program together on my own, I would have to tune into that a lot more. And I really like being able to delegate it to, to other people. Now, and the training that you do in a week, are you doing this solo or do you partner uh, with other athletes to uh, do those workouts? A lot of my training is solo. Um, my swim workouts right now are with uh, a group of mostly C3 athletes, uh, especially Kristen Marchant, um, who's like swimming really well right now, just like crushing me in the pool three times a week. So she's been a great person to swim with. Um, and uh, cycling, a lot of it is on my own unless I'm at a training camp. Uh, I coordinate every once in a while for some mileage rides with the Uxbridge Cycling Club. Um, but it's hard. It's They don't love having lots of TT bikes at their, um, <laughs> you know, mileage rides. And I, I need to get a lot of like TT specific riding in. So a lot of that's my own. Some, sometimes I can convince my husband to come for like half of my rides. He doesn't love like long, long rides. <laughs> Um, and then running, uh, in the past, I, I coordinated a bit more with UTTC, which is the university of Toronto's track club recently. Um, I'm just, I'm based out in Stouffville, which is a bit outside of Toronto now. And so more of that running has been on my own, 
my run coach, uh, Ethan Davenport, he used to run with me at UFT does like I, every about once a week right now, it varies during the year, a workout with me. So that's always really nice to have the company. Um, it's more solo training than, than I ever had as a track athlete and a bit more than I'd like, but I think sometimes it's not bad training for just like the race dynamics in a triathlon where you can end up on your own quite a bit. I uh, used to train with Kristen in cross country back in university days. So I can attest she's a great <laughs> training partner. I was never able to swim with her, but uh, she is, she's a pretty great training partner. Um, and you, you talk a lot about fun. You've mentioned that a number of times. And one of the things that I see cropping up is that you also do, you add elements alongside your coach with some non-triathlon activities like mountain biking. I've seen cross country skiing. Mm talk a little bit more about fun and how you are layering these different sports in and how that maybe fits in with your, your training program. Yeah. Um, so I think cross country skiing and mountain biking are the two main ones. And a big reason that I, I work hard to fit those in or that my husband, Chris really loves both of those sports and it's a fun thing for us to do together. Um, but I think that, for me, sometimes it's really nice to have those sports that I don't feel like I have to be really good at. It's it's like a nice lower pressure experience. Um, but where Suzanne really feels and I really feel that there are aspects of what I'm doing with them that do then feed back into triathlon. And so they're a natural fit. So with mountain biking, even if I'm not good enough at it right now to get like a really good aerobic bike workout in it's a lot of bike handling and that feeds really well back into what we're doing cross-country skiing is a, a lot of good aerobic work and strength and in, in sort of the same muscles that you would use for cycling when you're doing skate skiing um so I think it's it's always a good exercise for us in terms of like flexibility and and seeing that it is possible to fit those things in, uh, seeing where the the benefits are in like a truly multi-sport perspective and also just a way for me to um, do do sports in a bit of a more social way um, with less pressure. And one of the things that you're very outspoken about um is that the fact that you're a vegetarian and you mentioned earlier, you've put in a lot of work to, uh, you know, change habits from the eating disorder that you had, and you've put in efforts to, you've put a, a great focus in having a high quality diet and, you know, getting everything that you need. I'd love to hear about how, what your day-to-day -day looks like, and maybe some of your go-to uh, meals for fueling as an athlete, both, you know, around and in workouts. Yeah, I think um, breakfast has become kind of like the most important meal to me just for like energy and, and, um, that's probably like my most consistent, uh, sort of like same breakfast every day almost, uh, you know, unless, unless I'm like going out for brunch or something like that, it's, it's always like oatmeal with a scoop of peanut butter with a scoop of protein powder, um, with some blueberries or other fruit and then, uh, a hot cocoa, uh, made with maple syrup or honey. And I often put some collagen in my hot cocoa just as a way to get that in collagen supports. Um, so, so collagen is not vegetarian. There are vegetarian supplements like uh, sun warrior, which uh, RTS works with right now makes one that is uh, sort of plant-based components of collagen, basically like what your body needs to make collagen on its own. But um, 
that I think is a really important support for like soft tissue health, connective tissue health and uh, connective tissues are something that I've always had an issue with as a runner and plantar fascia tearing, et cetera. Um, so that's like my, my, like, I feel like it's not a proper start to the day if I don't have that meal. And I think that's something that as I've learned more about better fueling has become a more and more robust meal in my day. Like I really don't skimp on that huge scoop of peanut butter, et cetera. Um, and then throughout the day, um, I think as a vegetarian, I'm always focused on what is the protein in my meal. And, and so that will vary. Um, but I try to make sure there's some kind of either like soy based, um, protein source or, or something like lentils, like a legume that like genuinely has a lot of protein. Um, and just making sure I'm getting fresh vegetables in there. I feel like it's not a complete meal if there isn't something green, (laughs) green included. Um, and yeah, since I do eat dairy, like also like Greek yogurt is a great source of protein. I think, um, yeah, I think for, for a lot of things, I have more like rules of thumb of things that I'm trying to include in a meal rather than like a really consistent meal that I'll have. But, um, because I've been vegetarian for so long, like it was sort of in the mid nineties that I started being a vegetarian when I was really little and no one else in my family is vegetarian. So it was like a time when it was less common to be vegetarian. Not many people like generally knew about proper fueling for vegetarians and certainly my family didn't. So um, just in terms of what was being recommended for vegetarians to eat or like the options to eat if you were eating at a restaurant, it was not a lot of protein ever or something like quinoa that maybe has a little bit of protein but not very much not enough um and I have sort of had to gradually educate myself about that but it's also become a lot easier as more and more people like it's just more common to be vegetarian now um I think uh like I'm always I supplement with protein quite a bit as well like I I have at least one or two scoops of protein powder every day as a supplement. And then the other supplement that I found really um, crucial has been iron supplementation with vitamin C. Um, I've read articles about getting like enough iron without a supplement as a vegetarian, but it's it's just actually never worked for me. As soon as I'm off that supplement, my uh, ferritin starts to drop. So well, you've had so many years of testing and learning that you, you know yourself better than anyone else. So it's great that you found that formula. And uh, I've noticed that you've added strength training. Uh, you've been talking a lot about, you know, you're working on your form, you're working on adding that in. Um, when did you really lean into adding strength training in? And what are some of your favorite exercises as a as an athlete? Yeah, so I think the strength training has always been um, something I've considered an important part of my training. Um, but I've been able with being full-time now, I've had the luxury to be able to focus on it a little bit more this year. So even when I was a runner, um, certainly at a program level, there was less emphasis on like proper weights training for the distance runners in our program, but it was still part of what we did. And I, 
especially around some of my injuries really went out of my way to work a bit with the sprints coach at UFT to um, develop a good strength program and try to address that as something that could help prevent injuries. That was, that was a big motivation for me at the start. Um, and I'm actually still working with that, that, that um, Bob Westman, uh, who isn't at UFT anymore, but still puts together the strength program that I have now um during the pandemic just because of gym access and equipment access I really fell off of strength training for a bit and uh have brought it back both it's really important to prevent injuries and to try to keep improving my strength on the bike especially and and sort of boost what we're doing there um I think uh like the to me the most important uh strength work to fit in if I'm pressed for time is always like a good like like pushing exercise with arms pulling exercise with arms and then two solid leg exercises basically that'd be like the bare bones like most important to me in the strength routine um uh so like uh pull-ups bench press squats and um I don't know, step ups or lunges, like whatever other sort of, um, uh, uh, why am I like deadlifts, like sort of exercises like that. I'm most focused right now on trying to learn how to do cleans properly because I feel like that's something that I've like tried to learn and then fallen off of for, yeah. (laughs) So I've made it like a, a mission this year to really try to master that because I think, uh, you know, from partway through my run career, there've been so many times where I've set out to try to, to learn them properly and have sort of gotten there, but, but gotten discouraged kind of quickly and, and not put the time in to be consistent about it. So your next big sport will be, uh, Olympic lifting. Uh, no, <laughs> I think, I think being a, a distance runner, like training with the run sprints coach is, is, uh, you know, you're in the gym a lot with the actual sprinters and it's very humbling in terms of what you're able to do in the gym. But, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that's one of my athletic strengths, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, just jumping a little bit back to that, uh, that iron conversation from before. So do you get like regular, uh, like blood work done a couple times a year to like check in on some of those kind of key metrics to make sure you're trending in the right direction that you're not deficient in anything? Yeah. Um, I think there are some years where I'm better about it than others. Um, ideally I'll try to get two blood tests a year, um, just to keep an eye on, on what's happening right now. Um, you, you know, the main ones that I am concerned about tend to be iron and like B, B12, but, but just like a general, uh, my doctor kind of has a, a general sort of requisition that she'll make for sort of energy focused indicators. Um, I checked it a lot more, uh, as a young runner, as we were realizing the extent of some of the deficiencies that I was dealing with and, uh, some of those nutrients were a lot more variable during that time. So we were keeping a more careful eye on them. I think we found a really good routine with supplementation now, so I'm not as concerned about it. And, and, um, I think have mostly refocused on checking in if I'm feeling a little off and just to make sure that it's, it's not a factor. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, 
we've sort of found something that seems to be working and, and has been quite consistent over the past few years. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely something we've added in and have seen, like, even if it's once a year, you learn so much about like having those baseline levels at the right spot. I think it's so valuable for any athlete. Yeah. And, and I think also learning about where some of those indicators should be for sport versus the sort mm -hmm. of very, very baseline, what a doctor will sort of check off as basically healthy. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest one for that, uh, in my experience has been ferritin where I, I think, I think that the blood test will say that your ferritin's normal if it's at like 11 or 12, but for an athlete, it should really, I think be in like the, at least the forties or fifties and, and higher. And, and I have, that's one where I feel that I really notice an energy difference. Um, at one point my ferritin was at two <laughs> oh, and then, my gosh, yeah. So then it, it, then it bumped up into that sort of like, okay, a doctor will say it's healthy kind of 11 or 12 range, but now is like at least up in the, in the fifties. And, and I just, I noticed a big difference in sort of the resilience of my energy levels. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We started, we got our natural path always to order it and they know like they're looking in the levels of like what the demands of our actual mm -hmm. sport needs. So yeah, so important yeah. to have the right person looking at it as well. Yeah. Um. So you've talked a bunch about your team. Like it's, it's pretty cool that you kind of have like Suzanne, Ethan and Miguel all working together to kind of put together this program for you. How do you guys kind of all stay on the same, like all the same base and moving in the right direction together? How does that all work? Yeah, I think we've been really lucky. I mean, it it works because Suzanne is basically the final say in charge and also because Suzanne and Miguel and Ethan's coaching philosophies all really um, mesh with each other. I think they all have very similar approaches to sport. And so it's sort of a team that we've gradually accumulated over time. Um, I, I can easily see it going very wrong to have so many different coaches involved. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ethan uh, was a teammate at U of T in running uh, and we brought him on sort of very early on because I found it really comforting uh, to have someone involved with my run program who really knew about my background in, in running and really understood running from a track perspective. It made me feel more confident in the run program. And, and Suzanne is just so wonderful about um you know, she puts together a really excellent program, but is so open to collaboration all the time, um, which I deeply appreciate because I've, I've certainly worked with other coaches who get very possessive and, and aren't so open to, to working with other people. And, and, um, so Ethan is, uh, you know, similar, loves collaborating, happy to, he'll sort of slot in run specific training where Suzanne mandates that it should be. Um, and, and she sort of, is the one overseeing where different focuses on different sports will be, um, how all of the sports should fit together. Um, and then Ethan and Miguel are sort of putting in uh, the specific content of some of the run workouts or swim workouts where Suzanne has said there should be a workout like that. Very cool. Very cool setup. And tell me a little bit about um, this is your first year with the, or this maybe is this the second year with the real triathlon squad. Tell me about kind of that dynamic, why you joined them and kind of what they're kind of providing for you as a pro. Yeah. So this is my second year with them. Um, I was 
initially I was, I was rejected by them in their very first year. No, I, I had had some preliminary conversations with Jackson in their first year as they were setting it up. And then, um, they kind of went in a different direction for a while and, and they, uh, asked me in their second year if I would join and I swallowed my pride, joined them anyway. But, I uh, I think it's, it's a group that, um, I think it's a natural group for me because it's, it sort of involves a bunch of athletes that I know from doing camps or, you know, like Garrick and, uh, had been based in Ontario for quite a while. Jackson, I obviously know from the Ontario scene and Nick Chase had been at quite a few of their camps. So, um, it felt when I joined like a good opportunity to work with athletes that I knew a bit about. And I liked the prospect of, um, you know, having some support on the business side of the sport and a bit of a team to work with rather than going completely solo on that. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it, it continues to be a work in progress and we're developing a lot and I think we're all learning a lot about how to manage a team like that. But, um, you know, Adam, our new, uh, sort of manager and Nick Chase put in a huge amount of work in terms of, uh, coordinating with different sponsors and what they do for the team. And then we're all sort of finding our own ways to contribute. So it's been, a yeah, I think a quite a positive experience over the past two years. Nice. Yeah. It's been fun to hear all the, uh, the different podcasts and watch kind of the, the development of it. Cause we, we had Jackson on and we, uh, kind of know some of those guys well so it's cool to to see the development over the last couple of years and cool to see uh, what the team's going to do next year you guys got some solid athletes on there so hopefully some big results on there um yeah so we're, we're all hoping so <laughs> <laughs> yes I guess that leads me to kind of our, our next part as we start to wrap up here I'd love to hear kind of um, what's on your 2023 uh, race calendar if you're willing to share yeah so first race will be 70.3 Oceanside April 1st um, which I had hoped to do last year, but I actually got COVID the week before the race last year. Um, so I think that that'll be a rest buster. It's always hard to know what to expect going into that first race of the season. Uh, and then, uh, in May, I'm hoping to spend a month in Europe competing there. Uh, definitely hoping to be in the PTO Europe open in Ibiza. Um, they don't finalize the start list until, uh, I think they've recently told us they'll, they'll finalize it about, uh, six weeks or a month before the race. So I, I, I always, I, sh I should be in for that one, but I always hate to sort of take it for granted and then have a bad surprise. So <laughs> fingers crossed. You're like what? 20th in the rankings now Yeah, around there. Yeah. Nice. I just, awesome. <laughs> so, so ideally that I think, um, that should be, you know, a really interesting experience. And so it was a good prize money opportunity as well as an opportunity to have uh, like really, really top competition. Um, and then I'm, I'm hoping if I do that to stay in Europe and do 70.3 acts on Provence, uh, at the end of May, I just felt like a good opportunity to try more racing in Europe being over there already. Uh, I did a school exchange to acts and like, 2005 and haven't been back since so it just it seemed like an exciting thing to try to add to the season um and then June definitely back at Trombois um to be um yeah I think it's always really nice to race in Canada and that's one of the few opportunities too on the well the only opportunity on the pro 70.3 circuit <laughs> um and 
then August, ideally, hopefully PTO US Open. And then biggest focus for the year is 70.3 Worlds in Finland at the end of August. Nice. And do you already have a qualification for that for 70.3 yeah. Worlds? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, there so that's go. nice to have the security of having the, the uh, qualification already. And, um, you know, the, the goal is to, I made top 10 last year. So the goal is to see if I can improve on that and, you know, ideally, you know, see if I can get myself to the point of being competitive with the top five would be really my my top goal. So we'll see. Nice. We'll be in Tromblon and Finland. So we'll be uh, cheering you on on course for both of those. Oh, awesome. Yeah. F- Finland should be really interesting. I'm excited for that one. Yeah. I heard it's like very much just like an Ontario, like summer cottage country race almost. I was like, yeah. oh, we're going to this cool destination. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, it's Ontario cottage country. Like, hmm, interesting. No, Ontario cottage country is pretty good for racing. Yeah, it is. So that, it that is wouldn't nice. be bad. <laughs> exactly. Um, so one of the questions that we love to end on is you know, we've invited you on because we view you as one of our endurance icons, but we would love to know who's your endurance icon. Hmm. I, I feel like I've been giving this answer a lot lately, but, but honestly, from the bottom of my heart, my coach, Suzanne, um, she, she did pro triathlon and balanced that with a postdoc in English literature. So she's someone I've always looked up to, um, you know, in the balance that I, I had to do between my academics and career and, and pro sport and, uh, just has really been the biggest female role model for me in the sports world in terms of how to find ways to excel on my own terms. I think she's very creative in the way that she thinks about sport. She's very open to collaboration and to, you know, balancing with sport with things that don't necessarily seem to fit in with it, like to her poet, like modernist poetry and sport are deeply connected. And and I really love that outlook and it gives me a lot of, of energy and I find it a very sort of joyful, hopeful way to be engaged with sport. So she's often in the background. I, we were trying to like find a picture actually recently of the two of us together that I could post on Instagram or, or something like that. And we, we just have some of her like cheering from the sidelines on a course and, and she's really not active on social media. So I think sometimes she's a little bit quiet in the background, but to me, she's a huge role model and, and has just been such a positive influence on my own engagement with sport. I think that's so important when you look at the relationship between an athlete and a coach, like it's so much more than them just building a program for you. It's that level of trust and respect. And it's so wonderful that you have that. It's not just a level of respect. Like it's someone that you actually look up to and and admire in that way. So she sounds incredible and uh, how fortunate you are to have, have a coach like that. Yeah. I think, Um, I think it's been a huge part of my success and, and ability to succeed quickly, I guess that, that coaching relationship. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, where's the best way for people to follow your journey and all of your exciting race plans for 2023? Uh, Instagram is definitely the best place to follow me. That's where I'm most active. Um, and, uh, I'm also trying to get a blog started. We have, uh, February, uh, uh, article out and a March one coming soon through RTS, which is on their, their website. So if you just look up the real triathlon squad website, that blog, but for me personally, uh, a lot of, a lot of my outreach is over Instagram, just at Tamara Jewett. 
And I have to say, I really appreciate your captions. Like they're very thoughtful. They're not just like, this is a photo of a cat or because you definitely <laughs> have that, which is great. Um, but you, you do like we had, we started the podcast talking about how you actually go really deep and you talk about like the highs and lows of your training. And, and it's so uh, for anyone listening, um, absolutely uh, worth a follow. And uh, we look forward to cheering you on in 2023. Thanks so much oh. for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much.